Some of you have been said, I'm so ready for this day because we're finishing Untroubled. And so, and some of you are like, no, we want Untroubled to keep going because I'm still dealing with trouble. Well, guess what? Um, guess what? We feel like every message we, we bring has a, has a strong application side to it. And so, but we're finishing up. We're finishing up Untroubled. And uh, as we're dealing with this, we're dealing with what I honestly believe is probably one of the more sensitive, frustrating issues when it comes to trouble. If you've got your notes open, I don't know, I've heard you version maybe having some problems, but we got your old school bulletin. And so um, we can just go ahead and get into this. And we've looked at this concept 10 times now. You're like, Brandon, you're not very creative. No, I'm not. Sorry. We just keep coming to the same things over and over and over again. And I hope that after 10 times of this, that it begins to get into your mind and you begin to get an expectation that in Christ we can live untroubled in a troubled world. That doesn't mean that we don't have trouble. It means that our trouble doesn't trouble us. That our peace is a place that... It passes understanding. People look and they say, there's tons of trouble in that person's life. Why are they at a place of peace? It doesn't make sense. That's someone who's living untroubled, in the middle of trouble, that their trouble isn't troubling them. And that in Christ, we really can do this. And this isn't having a trouble-free life. If you think that you're coming to Christ and all of a sudden you're never going to have a problem again, um, it's just not the case. In fact, you probably are going to get some new problems. You're going to get some problems you didn't even know existed because you were clueless. You didn't realize that there were some things. As you come to Christ and all of a sudden a, an awareness of something bigger than you begins to come in and all of a sudden there's some things that are going to bother you that never bothered you before because you didn't care. And all of a sudden caring can create this place of tension. Isn't it amazing how caring, just simply giving a rip, can all of a sudden create tension in our lives? John 16, 33. Well, again, we've looked at this 10 times. I've told you these things. Just if this is your first time with us, we're just going to go ahead and preface this one more time. Jesus is, this is his last big interaction before he, the, from where he's at here, his next place is to go to the Garden of Gethsemane where he is betrayed and the process of him going to the cross just boom, 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 takes place. So he's having a big conversation with his disciples. And he's talking to them. And he's letting them know that some difficult things are coming. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. That's what he wants. He wants us to have peace. But then tells us, in this world, you will have trouble. These are the guys who followed Jesus for three plus years. They heard everything he had to say. Everything that's sealed up in scriptures and everything that's not. They were able to have Q&A time with Jesus. They had FaceTime with Jesus. And those guys are told by Jesus, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Guess what? We're going to have trouble too. To look at our lives and to see that... <laughs> Man, we, uh, we're having more trouble. We're just not spending enough time with Jesus. Maybe so. I don't know where you're at. But with the disciples, 
That wasn't necessarily the case. So many times we can think our answer is just, is just doing some religious activity more and more and more and more. And that's not necessarily the case. If the Holy Spirit is leading you to spend more time in the Word, I think that's a great thing. The Holy Spirit is leading you to spend more time in prayer. Your prayer life ought to grow as you know God better and trust Him more. But this place comes, it comes down to it, is are we going to believe and act on what He's already told us? So many times our trouble is it comes in. It's just because we aren't ready to step into it. So many times it's because we're just not believing what we already know He said. We're not already trusting what he's already spoke to our hearts. Since the time you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. As we looked at all this and I was structuring this series, I put this last for multiple reasons. I put this last because I hoped as we went through it, we'd get some relational equity together that you'd let me speak into your life on this issue. I put this last because we're about to head into the holidays. We're about to deal with family. People sometimes that we're simply thrown together with. Maybe it's people you're on purpose, you're staying away from. Maybe there's some family gatherings you've been invited to and you've already said, no, I'm not going to go be with those people. I'm not going to go be around that. Maybe you can't wait to get in there and you know that there's going to be that one aunt, that one uncle, that one cousin, that you're just going to take everything you have to not take the turkey leg and smack them with it. <laughs> Take everything you've got. But this whole thing of family trouble, relational trouble, I tell you what, it is the greatest pain because you know for a fact that there are people in your family that you love that you will step into other kinds of trouble to make family trouble go away. We will step into financial trouble. We will put ourselves in financial risk. If we feel like it's going to help somebody in our family. We say, I would rather have financial trouble than family trouble. There are those of us who would step into health issues. Where we take on stresses and take on different things. Because we are eliminating stresses and eliminating things from people we care about. We avoid the greatest pain possible. We are pain avoidance creatures. And when family trouble comes in, there's so many times we'll grab every other kind of pain. We'll go, I was going to avoid this, but because this is going to get me out of family trouble, I'm going to go straight ahead here. And we'll do it. Why? Because we care. Because, because those people hurting us hurts deeper than anybody else. Because of those issues, those people disappointing us are the hardest things to get over. And so, so many times what we'll end up doing is we'll end up either getting callous, trying to care a little less so that we can hurt a little less, or we just cut it off completely and we just walk away and we're going to go on a journey together and this may not make sense at first, but I want you to just track with me, okay? So let's go ahead and look at this. That the concept of family was God's idea. God came up with this. This isn't something that, the, that just evolved out of different things. God established family. Maybe you're here on the fence. You're here. You got dragged here. You're, you're on the fence on this whole God thing. That's fine. You can have your theories about things. We're people who believe the Bible. So if you'll just kind of appease us this morning, we're going to take this, these scriptures seriously. 
But I think if, even if you are on the fence, I think you can get some wisdom out of this. That God is the one who created family. And we can trust him when we have trouble with those who are nearest and dearest to us. Now, I want us to look at why family is so important. Because first off, all relationships, all the relationships we deal with, we first, they, we first learn how to deal with relationships and how we deal with family. Then we learn. They're, they're core. Let's just be honest. Our co-workers, we're all paid to be together. <laughs> all your co-workers are paid to be around you. That's why they're there. They're earning a dollar. That's their job. You're there. You happen to both be able to pay your electric bill and pay your rent and do the different things in life because your money stream happens to be coming from the same checking account. And so you're thrown together. And you can kind of just grin and bear it and push through some things. Why? Because you're being paid to do it. But how many of us have walked away from jobs? Because we couldn't deal with the relationships anymore. How I many says, you can't pay me enough to work for these people? It's happened. It's happened. But most co-worker relationships were paid, were paid to be together. Most friendships have another pay. We just enjoy it. We just enjoy being around these people. And sadly, in our culture, as soon as that ceases, so does the friendship. I go to work, I deal with those people, I get paid. I hang out with my friends, I enjoy it. That's my pay. My pay is my personal enjoyment. As soon as I quit enjoying it, as soon as I quit enjoying your company, I'm done with you. And I'll go find somebody else that makes me enjoy their company. And we'll just move on. But family, family's totally different. Family, you're not paid to be there. And family, you may not even enjoy being around it. But you're still there with them. And this is where we learn to deal with relationships that are difficult. Work relationships are difficult. We go find a new job. Friends, sadly, we just move on and we find new friends. But family, we're stuck with. And this is where we should learn how real the real dynamics of relationships work. Let's look at Genesis 2. We're going to look at the first family. God created, uh, <clears throat> created man, created him out of the dust of the ground, and then we catch up with him again in verse 18. It says, The Lord God said, It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Any man who's had his wife has gone out of town for a week, when he, she comes home, she can go, Yeah, that was a bad thing, but he was left alone. Yep. Dishes piled high, stuff's a mess. It is not a good thing. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken from the man, and he brought her to the man. Here they are, God's created family. Why? Because loneliness isn't good. This morning, today, if you are lonely, I'm going to tell you it breaks God's heart. This is pre-fall of humanity. This is before sin and all that took over and jacked everything up. God has said, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then here's man 
alone, and he says it's not good. So in the middle of all this good, the only thing that wasn't good is loneliness. My heart breaks for you this morning if you're here and the holidays are coming up and you're like, I don't, I don't have anybody. I don't have anybody. I want to encourage you to dare to open your heart. Relationships require risk. They just do. To dare to open your heart and let God begin to, because the Bible says God sets the lonely in families. It doesn't even say he sets them in, in friendships. It's something that goes beyond. Families deal with each other's annoying habits. And when things get sideways, families push through it. God sets the lonely in family. So here's God bringing the first family together. Then things get sideways real quick in Genesis 3 8. He says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of God. They had already eaten of the fruit they weren't supposed to. They heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So they're hiding. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? <laughs> I'm wearing my Texas. I can say naked. <laughs> who told you you were naked? <laughs> have, you eaten, have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And look... An awesome Adam. Look at him. Man, he is the picture of what a husband should be. Man, Eve had the man for her. Eve had the man God picked. It wasn't even like she maybe kind of missed it. She has the man God picked for her. And yeah, maybe she did something she wanted to do, but this is where it comes in and super husband comes up and just handles it. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit. Nice. Adam invented throwing under the bus. <laughs> In the garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. There you go. Multi axle right over her back. He sits there and immediately begins to say, It's this woman. My life is jacked up because of this person in my life. My life, my, my stuff with you, God, everything is a wreck because of this relationship. God, it is her fault. And you gave her to me. So the back door is it's your fault. You're the one that said it wasn't good for me to be alone. That's what I'm not by myself. There was no sin. <laughs> so 
sin takes place and God begins to interact with humanity. The right couple. They were married to the right spouse. They didn't miss it. They didn't jump the gun in their relationship. They weren't coming off the rebound and went to the first person that smiled at them. They were with the right person. And they were given an assignment in the garden to be fruitful and to multiply. Have kids. Go have some babies. Bring life into this world. A beautiful assignment. Which meant more relationships. Which meant more opportunity for hurt. And somehow, between chapter 3 and chapter 4, Eve forgave the man. Because verse 1 happens. Adam made love to his wife Eve. And she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I've brought forth a man. And later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. And now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. So here we have the first family. Things already kind of went off the rails. Adam already putting, this, putting blame. There's already this tension. They got evicted. <laughs> Guess what? If you've ever been evicted together, you're in good company. Adam and Eve have been kicked out of their house too. They get evicted. They're having kids. Things are going. God told them to have kids. God told them to. They're just doing what he asked. God tells them to have kids. I want to fill in the gap right quick. And at some point, at some point in all of this, they decide that they want to, to, to offer something to God. The Bible doesn't say that God demanded it. The Bible doesn't, we don't have any lead in. The Bible doesn't say that Adam and Eve ever did this. Just at some point, that Cain and Abel decide they're going to create some sort of an offering. They're going to do something. Cain, and it says in the process of time, and different people read that different ways, <laughs> gives an offering of some of his grain because he tends the fields. And Abel gives a sacrifice of the, the, the first of his flocks, which has always been representative of, of, a, of, a, of this faith offering where you give the first. You don't wait to see how everything's going to work out and then give something at the end. You, you give, in this, give the first. And Abel's the first one to do that. And he gives it, and at some point, and there's not a lot of explanation, but God takes pleasure in Abel's sacrifice and doesn't take pleasure in Cain's. And Cain gets sideways about it. Cain gets upset about it. And he has an interaction with God, a conversation with God, and, and God tells him, look, if, if, you'll, just do, if you'll just do right, it'll, you'll be accepted too. This isn't personal. This isn't personal. I had the end reject the Cain. He just didn't accept the sacrifice. He didn't reject Cain personally. Cain just needed some mentoring, just needed some coaching. And God was giving him some coaching, but he tells him that, you know what? Sin is lying right at the door. It's crouching at the door. And you're, you're right at a juncture, and you could go off the rails real quick here, but you need, you need to be mindful of this. You need to master it. We done do it, and we pick up in verse 8. It says, and now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. 
first murder. We don't even know that Cain knew it would it, that would happen. We don't even know that Cain knew he could kill him. There, nobody had died at this point. But he was so full of rage and he was so full of anger. And here, little baby brother Abel does this thing and, and his offering gets accepted and his doesn't. And he won't take any correction. He won't take any coaching. And he's just angry at his brother and he's jealous of his brother and he kills him. You know what Cain had never done? He had never binged watch anything on Netflix that was full of violence. <laughs> this was before Netflix. He never played a bunch of first-person shooter games. I don't like those either, but that's not where this hate and readiness to murder came from. He didn't hear it on the news constantly. He wasn't, he wasn't this thing of, that was developed and grew in this culture of hate and anger and murder and all of these different things. He didn't grow up in that. All the stuff that we want to point to and we say all of this stuff is this cause and effect, that's not it. It was a heart issue. It was a heart issue then and it's a heart issue today. Trying to put all of these different stuff on the on the edges? Is it going to fix the heart? Only Jesus fixes the heart. So here we have the first family. They're put together by God. They had the kids. God told them to have kids. And one of them's dead and one of them was a murderer. God deals with Cain personally. He doesn't strike him dead. Think about that for one for a little bit. He doesn't strike him dead. But he does end up, he, he, Cain goes and he's banished and he's separated from his family. And now here's Eve. She has her own mistakes. Her husband blames her. Her baby boy's dead. Her oldest son is in her office. He's murdered. That sound like a great family. It's the first family. And they were put together. I want, to, I want you to get this. This is some crazy dysfunction. This is some crazy pain, some crazy family trouble. And so I want this to settle real deep in me. Okay? Just because you are having family trouble doesn't mean that you're with the wrong people. Listen to me. Just because you're having family trouble doesn't mean you have the wrong family. You married the wrong person. You weren't raised the right way. All of these different things. God has a way forward for you with your family. God had a way forward for them, for Adam and Eve in the middle of their stuff. They didn't give up. They end up having more children. Every all our lineage comes back through. All of all of that. They didn't quit. See, part of the restoration plan for our lives includes family restoration. 
Luke 1.17. This is talking about John the Baptist, and it's a fulfillment of a prophecy in Malachi 4, 5, and 6. But it says that he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers towards their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Part of us being prepared for God to fully work in our lives. To say, God, I want to give you your way. You have to be ready and expect for relationships to begin to come together. Some of the hard ones, some of the ones you don't want to fix. Some of the ones you think are unfixable. Begin to have a place in your heart where you say that, God, I just need my heart turned towards them. That's all he's doing. He's turning hearts. You don't have to fix it all. Just get your heart turned. It's a heart issue. So many times you're like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. It's so messed up. It's so jacked up. Our family trouble is in such a wreck. I don't know what to do. Just let the Holy Spirit turn your heart. That's where it begins. You don't have to have all the words. You don't have to have the perfect apology. You don't have to have all these different things. Just let the Holy Spirit turn your heart. Just to have your heart go, you know what? If reconciliation can happen, I'd be so excited about that. I would, oh, I would welcome that open arm. Because as long as you're resistant, you're part of the problem. As long as your heart is turned away, you're part of the problem. But as soon as you get on the page with the heart of God and you let him turn your heart towards that person, towards that issue, from the concepts of what God has good, <laughs> sometimes let God turn your heart towards somebody. You're like, my heart's towards them. I love them. I do everything I can for them. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe you're being God in their life. Maybe you're being an enabler. Maybe you seeing them suffer on their own is too painful, and so you selfishly prop them up to reduce your own pain. It's not about them. It's about you can't stand to watch them suffer. It feels right. It feels like it's love. But it's not love for them. It's love for self. We've got to let God turn our hearts. When we begin to get off page with Him, then restoration can really come. Hard conversations can take place. Reconciliation can take place. All of a sudden, things really begin to transpire. So quickly, as we wrap this up, I want us to see these concepts. That to truly trust God in anything, He must come first. We've already talked about this a couple of times. Matthew 6, 33 says, But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Everything that is, that is meaningful in life, if we begin to, to prioritize him, which the kingdom of God can be boiled down to, to how we connect with God. We love him and we love others. Anything that violates love is not on his plan. It's not. I don't care how right it feels. I don't care how justified it feels. If it's not led by love, it's not on his plan. 
Sometimes a decision just has to be made. Joshua 24, 15 says, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you're going to serve. Make a willful decision. Make a conscious decision. Whether the gods of your ancestors served before the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. It's a sweet scripture to put on a plaque on your wall. It's a whole other thing to internalize it and say, you know what? We're going to be people that we want to mirror him. It goes counterculture a lot of times, people. It's unpopular a lot of times. Like, how can love be unpopular? Folks, I understand how unnerving some of the stuff with the bombings and that kind of stuff and stuff with the Syrian refugees. But I think if we'll just stop for just a half a second and we say, would, would Jesus want us to invite people who are fleeing pain and suffering? Would he want us to dare to take a risk and love on some people? Would he want us to do that? Would he want us to be built that way? Or would he want us to be bent towards self-preservation? What would he do? Folks, we've got to be bent towards love. Sometimes love isn't popular. Sometimes love isn't safe. We've got to be bent towards love. That's why family is so difficult. Is because love isn't safe. Luke 12. It says, do you think I came to bring peace on earth? about to get into the Bible story about the birth of Jesus in the next little bit. Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. It's his heart. But he's like, how does this, you need to figure out how this functions. You think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division, tension. Now, how does this work? From now on, there will be five men, one family. Divided against each other, three against two, and two against three. They'll be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. You're like, wait a second, wait a second, preacher. You're talking about family forgiveness and everything working together, and then you're saying Jesus says he's going to set things on edge. These are his words. And when we look in context, you know what that edge is? It's who is he? Who is Jesus? So you and I, we don't get this. We live in a society today that holds tolerance above all things else. We do. And on a back doorway, we get the benefit of not having to freak out about this concept. Because most of us haven't given up family, relatives, whatnot for us to make a decision to move towards Christ. But you take this and you set this in the middle of Syria or Iran 
and you tell people to come follow me, and they know exactly what this means. All of a sudden, they're not like, oh, wow, you, you know, this guy's kind of got off on a little weird tangent. We hope he outgrows this. We're all going to be sweet and loving and give him some room to get this Jesus thing out of his system. No. They lose family. They lose support. They can be attacked and killed. And it's an ugly, ugly situation. But it's all based on who do you say Jesus is. That's what it is. Us coming into our family gatherings and, and being self-righteous and super preachy and people bowing up against it. They're like, well, that's just it. No, that's not it. <coughs> you don't have to be super preachy and self-righteous every holiday. Just love on your friends and family. As long as they're giving you room to serve Christ, this isn't at play. But there are times in parts of the world that following Christ creates tension in the family. And every time that does, you have to say, you know what, God, I love you more than anything else, even tension in my family, and I'll move forward. But other than that, we're admonished as far as it is within our power for to live at peace with all men. And that family restoration and forgiveness are central. Jesus is talking to a bunch of Jewish people that their sacrificial system and their, their offering system had become God to them. They pushed God out and their system of worshiping him had become God to them. And they, they honored this above all. And he's talking to them about and getting this back to this is about relationship this whole time. And he says something that is wildly, wildly controversial. We know it doesn't make it as much, it's not as bothersome to us. But to this crowd that heard him, this just was like sounding crazy. He says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, this is not, you're, you're there, you've gone through the process. There's some cleansing rituals. This is not a slow thing. You have to do a whole bunch of stuff. You've made it all the way to the altar, and you're there about to give your gift. You think this is the most important thing between you and God, and that God, your, your service and your worship to him, it's all about this. You're there. You've gone through all the process. You're about to give it, and 